So tonight we have the one, the only, Pastor Zach Backus. Last thing, last thing, I got the mic. It's probably the last time I get to do this. This man is for real. I'm getting to know this guy. He's not a flake. This guy loves us. And I'm telling, he really loves us. And he knows the word of God. He, he, and he'll do it in a way where he'll correct you. He'll make you cry. But he'll correct you in love, not from a position of, man, you just, you got it all wrong. Uh, no, he wants to, hey, here's how we do it, man. Let's walk it now. Let's get this guy. Let's, let's bring this one and this one in. So, man, tonight we will get the man, the one, the only, Zach Baggins. He's going to share the word with us tonight. So come on up, Pastor Zach. Man, I love, love you, man. Why don't you guys give it up for Jesse? Did he do a good job? Yes. That's awesome. That is the way to keep people engaged during the announcement time, <laughs> is to let Jesse do them. I just, wherever, where's Kylie at? Kylie, we're just going to make that change. Jesse is our, there you are. He's our resident transition person from now on. Let's go have him do it. I don't need to do it anymore. That's great. I think he can get away with some things that I can't, so that's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. And we had 72 people. We had 72 people make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as a result of our Easter services. 72 people. That's incredible. That's incredible. 22 adults. Are you ready for this? And 50, 50 in our six to 11-year-old kids. Do you believe that kids can legitimately make a decision to follow Jesus? I'm glad that Jesus took me serious when I was nine years old that I wanted to follow him. I've gotten better as I've gone along, but how many of you know that there, there, there isn't a fun-sized version of the Holy Spirit it's the same Holy Spirit that's led you and I into a relationship with Jesus that's leading our kids into Jesus. And I think that we just need to take a moment and we need to celebrate that Victory Life Durant style. We need to give glory. God, we thank you. Thank you that you've made this to be a house where the lost find a home. And thank you, Father, that you've made us to be a company of people that operate in the warmth and the welcoming atmosphere that is family. We speak a blessing over all 22 adults, over all 50 kids. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that they are going to continue to walk in relationship with you, not by their own might or by their own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for deeper levels of encounter and deeper levels of revelation for our newly found brothers and sisters. And we thank you for everything that you did as we partnered with you. Every smile, every handshake, every, every open door, every coffee, every game that was played in our kids' classes, every prize that was given away, every ministry team member, every single member of the family that scooted over in their seat to let somebody else sit next to them. Each one of those things working with the Holy Spirit made 22 new converts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we give you glory for that. We give you glory for that, God. We give you glory for everything that you're doing in our lives. And we love you. Thank you for continuing to grow us and continue to add to this church daily those that are being saved. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. 
So 72 uh, first-time first commitments to, to follow the Lord, uh, decisions to believe in Jesus. And then we had almost 2,300 people here at the Durant campus for Easter weekend. So it was, it, it, it was a powerful time, and uh, I'm just so excited to see us being able to continue to reach out in the community and just wanted to extend a thank you to you guys uh, for letting people feel at home, creating a welcoming atmosphere. Um, I, I have said it before, and I'll say it again. I believe that people will come, uh, and they often do come because of our, because of our pastor uh, and to hear the anointed teaching in the house, but I believe they're going to stay because of the people. You're going to stay because of the people. Because I don't know if anybody's ever told you this or not, but church is family. Church is family. All right. Matthew 25. Last week, I started talking about um, some essential ingredients that we need to have in order to grow in our level of connection with God and our level of connection with each other as brothers and sisters. And we're talking about some things that are some must-haves. And these things aren't just must-haves in the fact that they need to be present in our midst as a family. But it's a must-have that we understand what these things actually are. I've talked about some things that have have the potential to detract from our health as a family of faith. And then we moved into a conversation about some things that make a healthy family. And the first one that we started on last week was love. How many of you were here last week? And, uh, and we started the conversation around love. I was overzealous, and I wanted to talk about love and trust in the same night, and I didn't do it. Uh, so I've, I'm coming back tonight to talk to you about trust. And these, these things that I'm going to share with you on, even though it's in the context of our relationship, brother and sister, to brother, brother to brother, sister to sister, brother to sister, sister to brother, in the body of Christ, these things that I'm going to talk about tonight especially are good tools that you can utilize in regards to your relationships in general, okay? In, in general, even though it's in the context of things that need to be in place to continue to have and cultivate a healthy church family, these things that I'm sharing on are also good to use and to understand in regards to cultivating a healthy family in your personal home. Uh, what I have found so often is that people have a vision for their business, they have a vision for their finances. They have a vision for their health. They, they have visions and goals surrounding all these different things. But many people lack vision and goals surrounding what I think is the most important thing, which is their family. It's very few people that I talk to that have a clear vision and values for their home environment. And for many of us, we grew up in families uh, and, and for many of us, dysfunctional families that had no concept of what vision, values, uh, no, no core values or biblical, uh, biblical lenses to guard the behavior in our homes. And because we weren't taught those things, we've operated in our homes in regards to raising kids, in regards to our interaction with other members of our family, totally winging it. And, and, we, and we've just have failed miserably in a lot of different areas. And that's okay to be honest about that because the only way that you can be, hey, Roxy, I love you. Good to see you tonight. Uh, the, 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 th- the reason we need to be able to be honest about that is because the only way to really procure change is it has to be pre, has to have the prelude of honesty. Okay, people don't change because they're not honest. 
All right. This is, this is like very, very shallow. We haven't gone into the deep end yet. All right, so your response is making me a little bit nervous, okay? So I, I need some interaction to see how far I can go because I'm gonna push regardless. You already know that about me. I'm gonna push, and, and if I hit a wall, I'm gonna determine why it's there, and it could be because it might not be the time to knock it down. We're eventually gonna knock it down, maybe just not tonight, but we're gonna find a wall, we're gonna determine why it's there, and then if it's good for me to leave that up for another day, we'll leave it up. If not, we're gonna knock it down. Okay, so that's what we're gonna do. So the only way for you to change and the only way for relationships to change is you have to be able to be honest with yourself and with the people around you. People are terrified of being honest because because we are governed more by fear than we are faith. Okay, so the only way for us to really begin to see change in areas where we feel like we failed in relationship with our spiritual family in areas where we feel like we have failed in our natural family is to be able to be honest about where we're at right now, but also being honest about us being unwilling to stay where we're at right now. I gotta honestly evaluate where am I at right now? Where does my thinking stink? Where does my attitude stink? Where are my behaviors terrible? Admit it, get it out in the open. If you need help with that, I can help you. And you get that out in the open, then you say, okay, now that I've identified that that's not healthy, what can I do about it? What can I do about it? How many of you believe that there's always the ability to have a better tomorrow because you're in a relationship with the king of the universe? The body of Christ cannot afford to be victims. Many people in the room, including myself, have been victimized, have been mishandled by people. But victimization is an event. Being a victim is an identity. Okay? And we have to be able to get past that victim identity in blaming everybody else for what's wrong with me, then really taking a long, hard look at ourselves and saying, look, I know that thing that happened. It's not fun. It's not good. It hurt. But what am I going to do about it? Because you always have an option. You always have an option. A lot of times we don't make the right choice with our free will and we'd rather stay in our pity party than be able to really move forward and progress in the kingdom because let's be honest, pity parties make us feel good. When I can be in the pity party and I can get everybody to just feel bad about me and everybody begin to sympathize with me and empathize with me, even when it's a lie, the, the problem with that is that whenever I get people to sympathize me around a lie, what I do is, is I actually empower the one who is the liar, the devil in my life. And without the ability to be honest and to confront things in the truth, but in love, we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice as family, okay? All right, so rule number one, ground rules for tonight. We gotta be able to commit to be honest, all right? So raise your hand if you promise to be honest with yourself tonight. Okay? And I'm raising my hand because I'm going to be honest with you. And we're going to have an honest conversation about trust tonight. Trust. Talked about love last week. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about trust. And I, wanted, and I want to talk to you about trust through a, what I feel is probably going to be a little bit of a different look at, at, what, at what we know as the parable of the talents out of Matthew 25. And I want to look at this and I want to show you that I believe that the test of the talents that Jesus talks to us about is not about a test of productivity 
or efficiency in the kingdom of God, I believe it's a test of relationship. Okay? And I'm going to show you that from the scripture. So use that as a framework. Use that as a filter as we go into this passage. And then we're going to do some reflection. And I'm going to talk to you about trust. And I'm going to make a case just from the get-go, just so you know, I'm going to make a case on what I believe is biblical in regards to not giving everybody in your life equal amounts of trust. I can tell you that one of the biggest things I run into from a counseling perspective and that I've dealt with is people, Christians, condemned because they're trying to figure out what the formula is in regards to loving people and trusting people. Because I have people that tell me time and time again, and you should be able to relate to this, is that, well, I feel like I love them. I've forgiven, especially if there's a hurt there. You know, you only have time trusting people that have given you a reason to prove that they can't be trusted. Okay, so we're not talking about, that's, that should be basic too, right? Okay, one more time, I'll slow down. You only have a hard time trusting people that have given you a reason for you not to trust them. Okay, the problem is, is that we feel like part of forgiveness, all right, is automatically redepositing trust. And I'm gonna tell you that that's not true. And it's not true because of the parable of the talents, right? Because it's in the Bible. Can I just say that and you believe me and not read the parable of the talents? I'm just kidding. All right. All right, so I'm gonna read this out of the Passion Translation because I like the wording. Uh, But Matthew 25, verse 11. Again, it's in red, so this is Jesus talking. Heaven's kingdom realm is like the wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all of his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. Okay? What's this parable about? It just told us. I'm gonna read it again. And then this next time you give me the answer. Now that you know what I'm gonna ask, okay? It's open book test. All right, Doug, you ready? I'm counting on you, brother. Don't let me down. Again, heaven's kingdom realm is like the wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. What's this parable about? Okay, I'm gonna read one more time. Again, heaven's kingdom realm is like the wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. What's the parable about? Trust. You're picking up on it. You just, I, I led you that way. Those are great answers, but they're wrong answers. <laughs> One more time. Are you ready? I'm happy this time. Again, heaven's kingdom realm is like the wealthy man who went on a long journey. What's this parable about? It's about what the kingdom's like. It's about what the kingdom's like. Good job. You guys are sharp. It's about, it's about what the kingdom's We're going to edit out the previous three failed attempts. So you're going to look smart from the get-go. And Alex is going to bring my, my voice way down. Jesus is endeavoring to describe through this parable what the kingdom of God is like. Where are the family of God supposed to be living? In the kingdom. Okay. Where are the family of God supposed to be living? In the kingdom. Paul says that you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven which means that we have an operating system. Did you know that the kingdom of heaven has its own politics? It's called Jesus is king. And he's not king by election and his term never comes up due. He's king. He's a king everybody wants and everybody needs. 
but we don't get to elect Jesus. Okay. There are no diversity in political parties in the kingdom of God. There's just Jesus. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll save that. So we're supposed to be living. Should the church be a reflection of God's kingdom on the earth? Yes. yes. Or should it be a reflection of all of our messed up upbringings, opinions, biases, denominationalism, emotions, temper tantrums, strife, backbite? Should that be what the, what the church manifests? No. Should it manifest the kingdom of God? Yeah. So what's this parable about? The kingdom of God, which means what I'm about to read is how the kingdom functions and operates. Is everybody okay with that? Okay. So if this is how the kingdom functions and operates, is it okay for you to base it? Is it okay for you to take this parable and base it on the way that you should function and operate as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Yes. Yes. Okay. Like my logic, Jeremiah, if, then, it's all linear. No circular stuff tonight. I have tried to trick you with circular before, but not tonight. Just kidding, never done that. Again, heaven's kingdom realm is like the wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. Before he left on his journey, he entrusted. Everybody say entrusted. What does entrusted mean? To give what to somebody? Trust. Is trust valuable? Yes, very valuable. It's a valuable currency. All right. He entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to one of his servants. Okay, or five talents. All right. To another bag, to another, a bag of 2,000 gold coins. And to the third, a bag of 1,000 gold coins. Are you ready for this? Each according to his ability to manage. I want to make a case for you tonight that not everybody will be able to do the same thing with the trust that you give them. Not everybody will be able to do the same thing with the love that you give them. Not everybody will be able to do the same thing with the relational connectivity that you give them. And here's the problem that's in the church right now. The problem that's in the church right now, especially in my generation, the millennial generation, and, uh, and it's, 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 prevalent in generation z generation which is the generation right under me but here's the thing there is this progressive wimpy socialistic nice nicey nice candy coated version of jesus that a lot of people seem to like right now come on this is wednesday night Ed agrees with me. Ed, I'm just going to preach to you for a little bit. I need to feel encouraged. Who is the wealthy person that's entrusting talents in this parable? The Lord. And it said that he entrusted different people, different talents, different sums of money based upon what? their ability to manage. Here's the problem. And this is the problem in our relationships in general, but especially our problem in our relationships in the church, brother to sister. We think, because we have a skewed understanding of love, that we're supposed to be in the business of giving everybody the same. That's what love does, is everybody gets the same, okay? 
I can, I can tell you that you might think that sometimes, but let me tell you how faulty it is and logic it is and, and how messed up it is and how the enemy will try to use a perverted understanding of love and a perverted understanding of compassion and a perverted understanding of ministry being a minister to others, a perverted understanding of serving. He'll use that to actually kill you from the inside out. Because if you actually love God and you're following, and you're following God, and you've made a decision to, to actually ascribe to his moral code and his lordship, it's probably not gonna be, what's gonna trip you up and hurt you is probably not gonna be making a decision tonight to leave, go to Gillies, get drunk and ride the mechanical bull. I don't know about you, but like I'm, 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 I've pretty much, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't get tempted with that as often as I used to. Is everybody okay? The mechanical bull part sounds fun. Are you following me? So if you're actually following the Lord, there's going to be things that trip you up, but that's probably not going to be it. Now, if you're at a place of, of, of growing and you're at a place of maturing, and as Misty said, you're two seconds ago, you might have come here from riding the mechanical bull. And that's great. I want to see the video of how you did. But here's the thing that you need to know is that there's better community to be found in the church than, than in the bar. Okay? So that's Okay. We need to be able to do that. Hey, just the fact that I said that right there and you agreed with it proves, okay, proves something. Now, this is what it proves. It proves that we all instinctively by the Holy Spirit have the ability to execute what's called righteous judgment. But because we've bought into the socialist, progressive, wimpy form of Jesus, we think that we're not supposed to judge anybody or anything. So when we get asked pointed questions like is homosexuality a sin, that's not for me to judge. I don't know about that. That's not for me to judge. How could I say what God thinks about homosexuality? Read the Bible, Hot Rod. That's how you know. Who, who am I to say that it's okay for a man and a woman to be shacked up fornicating with each other outside of marriage? That's not for me to judge them. No, it is for you to love them. But you better believe you should judge it. Because I guarantee you, you're not judging that. You're not going to have the same non-judgmental response whenever your wife decides to go shack up with some other dude. If, if my wife decided to cheat on me, I would have a judgmental response. I wouldn't say, well, that's not for me to judge whether that's right or wrong. Who am I to really say how God feels about that? I don't know. The Bible says that idolaters, whoremongers, fornicators, God will judge. God will judge. And you say, well, see, that's it. God will judge. I, I know he's going to judge based upon what the consequences for that lifestyle will be. But the scripture always also says in the book of Hebrews that we, by use of practice, need to have our discernment exercised to be able to judge good from evil. Our part isn't to say what their punishment should be. Our part is to look at that and say, I should not be doing that in my life because it's not fruitful. But to say that we don't know what God thinks about things like that is wimpy and wrong. And it's ridiculous. But here's the thing. Well, back up before we get there. So here's the thing. We have innately through the Holy Spirit the ability to judge right from wrong. And before I get too far here, I want to show you something else. Go with me to uh, uh, first, first Corinthians. 
We'll come back to the parable of the talents. Oh man, I got 16 minutes left. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And, and I'm going to show you something from the Apostle Paul. Okay, I know I'm tough to believe sometimes. I get it. I scare myself most of the time, to be honest with you. So, But we can listen to Paul, right? We can trust Paul. I hope so. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Passion Translation. Does that translation make you nervous? Do I need to read it in the King James? Or are you okay with Passion? You okay? You prefer ESV? Okay, let's do it. ESV is too progressive? Okay, let's go back. New King James. Can we all agree on New King James? I know the passion makes some of you uncomfortable, so let's do New King James. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Woo! Praise God. In the first three sentences, there's something going on in the church in Corinth. They're not behaving as kingdom people, and they're actually taking their brothers and sisters to court, suing each other. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law, go to the courts, before the unrighteous, and not before the saints? He's asking a question. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? We didn't know that, Paul. That's why we don't know how to judge anything. How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you point those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise, it, is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who'll be able to judge between his brethren? But brother, go to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it's already another failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, no idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you were but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified by the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god in short terms paul is telling us that as believers we have to be able to start exhibiting the ability to make righteous judgment because we've actually been given the capacity to by becoming a new creation in jesus christ there's a difference between being unrighteous in your judgment and looking down on people that are in sin and not remembering. There's a reason why in the midst of talking about righteous judgment, Paul immediately lists people that will not inherit the kingdom of God and says, and don't forget, some of you were these people. Okay? But it doesn't mean now that our ability to judge has been totally compromised. 
Our ability to judge is linked to our ability to discern, to discern good from evil, like I said in the book of Hebrews. Now, here's the thing that you've got to be able to do. We've got to be able to take that righteous ability that we have to make judgments, righteous judgment, which is just wise decision-making, and we have to be able to couple that with what we read in Matthew 25 about the parable of the talents, because I told you that this parable is not a parable about finances. It's a parable that's showing us about relationship. And what relational currency looks like in the kingdom of heaven. And relational currency in the kingdom of heaven is built on trust. Does God love everybody? Yes. But by this parable, does God entrust the same amount of money in this parable to each and every person? Can I be honest with you? There are some people in your life, even brothers and sisters, that you can have a measure of trust for, but it's going to be a one talent kind of measure. There's going to be some people in your life that have a five-talent measure of trust that you can deposit in them. And you don't need to be condemned about it. It's called being able to make wise, righteous judgment. All right? I've preached this before, so I'll throw myself under the bus, but then I'll show you that I'm still right, even though you probably think I'm wrong about it. I told you that Jesus knew that Judas was a thief and he put him in charge of the, of the money. Do you remember that? Okay, true. He trusted him with the money, but Judas didn't get an invitation to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Are you following me? I believe that as a Christian, there is a measure of trust that you can have for anybody. But I don't believe that everybody's supposed to have the same measure. Which is, as a Christian, I believe that everybody can have access to your life, but not everybody should have access to your core. Jesus had the 12, he had the three, and then he had the one. And here's the thing. If you actually employ kingdom principles in your relationships, you will get accused of being judgmental. Okay. I talked to you last week a little bit about boundaries, all right? Now, here's the thing you need to know about boundaries. As the children of God, we have to have the ability to erect boundaries to be able to preserve our relationships, People often say, let's see if you do it tonight. Let's see if we can do it. If I say what's the most important thing in a relationship, you would say what? What? Trust? It didn't happen here. It happened at Karis yesterday. Sorry. I thought maybe it would happen. I have heard, and you probably have too, trust and those kind of things. But the thing that I've heard that makes or breaks relationships is communication. How many of you have heard that before? Communication. All right. I believe communication is important. But this is what I believe. I believe that there's something more important than communication. It's called boundaries. Because I believe without good boundaries, you won't have good communication. Okay? Did any of you grow up in a home where you were able to just talk freely about the way that you were feeling and express anything that you wanted at any point in time? Okay, you didn't grow up in that way? Okay. I know people that have, and what I found is when I talk to people that have, is that they were actually able to, they felt freedom to express, but they crossed all kinds of boundaries in their expression. These are people that grew up in homes that were led by emotion. You never held back how you were feeling about somebody in your family, and you'd have it out right there, and you might hug and make up afterwards, but you can't take back all the things that you said that were mean. Are you following me now? Okay. How many of you know that even though you had communication, and you got all kinds of honesty, you broke all kinds of boundaries and you have actually eroded trust in that relationship. Boundaries are the safeguard that keep my communication helpful. And not all honest communication is helpful communication, but all truthful communication is helpful. 
And the point of communication is for us to be able to enhance and preserve our level of connection. Anytime that I engage in communication, trust-based communication with somebody in the family of God, my goal needs to be able to come out the other side of that with our connection enhanced, preserved, sometimes redefined. But the goal is always connection. We're always trying to preserve connection to a measure. Which is why when I talk about healthy relationships, I never talk about putting up walls. I always talk about putting up boundaries. Because boundaries for relationships are actually the thing that safeguard them and keep them healthy. Not the things that keep me from other people. Most people try to put up boundaries, especially in the area of trust concerning people, all right, out of a fearful response because of what the other person has done. And out of a self-preserving response, which we've never been called to do as citizens of the kingdom of God, most people do not erect relational boundaries that are healthy out of a place of love for the person. Most of it comes out of love of self. And most of the time with self-love, we actually put up walls and we don't put up boundaries. Boundaries and walls are not the same things. I put it this way. In my life, I have got a yes for everybody. It's just not always the yes that they want. But I've got a yes for everybody. Okay, all right. This might sound mean, but I'm gonna go ahead and take the risk. I've had people come and tell me before, pastor, I really just need a friend. And I've told them, I'm not taking any more application for friends. (laughs) You think that's mean, don't you? Some of you. No, no, what's mean is, what's mean is not having the guts to tell them the truth and over committing and underperforming in their life. Okay, here's the thing. I understand how much I've actually got available to give and I can't be everybody's friend because friendship actually means something to me. It's it's not a casual term for me. So I can't be everybody's friend, but I can be somebody that facilitates an encounter with somebody that'll stick closer to you than any friend could, and that's Jesus. And I can't help you get connected to life groups to where you can find what you need in friends. I can be a facilitator for you to find friendship, but I can't be all 1,500 of your friends that go here. I know I'm good, but I'm not that good. I can't be friends with 1,500 people. Are you following me? But here's the thing. Because I value relationship with you, I actually want to be able to tell you the truth. Look, I can't be your friend, but what I can commit to in this relationship is this. You can come see me twice a month, We can talk about what's going on in your life and I commit to help you get into a group, get into a place where you can find community, people to live life with you at the level that you wanna have life lived with, okay? That is how we build trust. That's how we build rapport with people is actually being truthful, but still from a place of love, all right? So jump, bounced around just a little bit. So let's go back and let's draw some connection points here. All right, let let me show you something. So I told you that the Lord gave to each person that he's in relationship with different talents or different measures. We'll call the measures of trust based upon their ability. And I told you that not everybody in your life is gonna be able to do the same thing with the trust, love, and relational connectivity that you give them. And let me tell you something. It's godly to assess how the people that are close to you are doing with the things that you've entrusted to them. Okay, so this is what happens. Then he who'd received the five talents went and traded with them and made, five, and made another five talents. 
And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Some translations say, enter into the joy of your master. Relationship, a deeper level of relationship with the master. Are you following me? He who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, listen to this, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? It's a question. So if you knew that, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Can I be honest with you? The kingdom of God doesn't think too highly of socialism. Right. Socialism won't work for a country and it won't work for your family either. And it won't work for any of your relationships. You tell me, and l- let me tell you this, I can show you the devil tries to do this at an individual level so that he can get inside of nations. What has happened in history to every socialistic country? Imploded from the inside out, usually starting through some type of economic collapse, something connected to Money, because money is really just a type and a shadow that's connecting to something deeper that are invisible currencies that we give every day. And because we don't know how to make wise judgments and because we don't know how to set good boundaries, what happens is we get deceived by the enemy into following an inferior Jesus. And an inferior Jesus is one that never has to have hard conversations with folks, never has to engage in healthy confrontation, never has to step back and really assess if being in proximity to this other person or giving this other person connection to their life is causing a breakdown in their own health or in the health of their family. And what we do is, is we think that we're just supposed to engage in this divine process of being everybody's doormat. And you can do that But I can guarantee you this, you're going to implode because the devil seeks to do this in individuals' lives so that he can get that into entire nations to cause widespread breakdown. The kingdom of God is righteous. The kingdom of God is true. And the kingdom of God, one of the core values within the kingdom of God is the ability to discern good and evil, is the ability to discern unhealthy versus healthy. People that have a hard time with boundaries and people that have a hard time giving different levels of trust to people, they feel like that's unfair. I can tell you they're gonna have a hard time with God, at least the God of the Bible. Can I be real with you for a second? Not everybody's getting into heaven. 
That's something we don't want to talk about. And that's something that we want to pretend like it's not a reality. But here's the thing. Sometimes we present a version of Jesus that really has just been tainted by all of our fears and insecurities. So what we present to people is a Jesus that doesn't really have the ability to call you on the carpet about anything, doesn't really want to do any transformative work in your heart. He just loves you. And that's what Jesus does is he's just a hippie that loves you all the time. That's all he does. Imagine what kind of response is going to have whenever people meet a Jesus riding a white horse, fire in his eyes. That's coming, that's coming for what's called a day of judgment. God forbid that the church of Jesus Christ set people up with an inferior reality of Jesus in the day of judgment. That's a great and terrible day ends up being surprisingly a terrible day for people that was told it was going to be great for them. Are you following me? Okay. We have to be able, we have to be able to understand that it's a godly thing to be able to make righteous judgments in our life. And you're not being, un, you're not being biased. You're not being mean-spirited whenever you have to look at your life and you have to make some tough dividing lines and you have to say, you know what? I thought that you were a five talent person. I thought that you were, but clearly you're a one talent person. And what I've given to you has to be able to be taken away and that time and that energy and that effort, I have to be able to put that into something that's actually going to do good on my investment. See, we have a tough time doing that because we feel like we're giving up on people whenever we've done that, which is why half of the body of Christ has a Messiah complex instead of actually co-laboring with the Messiah. It's not your job to fix people. Have you ever had any success in changing anybody's heart? Nope. You ever stressed yourself out trying? Say, well, I did this and this and this and this and the person still doesn't want to change. I know, sweetie, they don't want to change. And there's going to be some people that don't want to change all the way into hell itself. My job is to be able to stay in a posture of love. My job is to be able to keep reaching out as the, as the Spirit leads me. But I know more Christians that get themselves, their marriages, their families into big time messes and big time areas of unhealth in the name of trying to deposit this love and this trust into people that are one talent people. They're not gonna do good on the investment. And sometimes it takes a realization that even what I had is taken away from me to hit a rock bottom to actually look up. There's some people I actually pray for them to hit rock bottom because once you hit rock bottom, you only got two choices, stay or get up. And as soon as they make a decision to get up, We, as the people of Christ, actually being able to discern if there's genuine repentance, or they're just telling us what we want to hear, actually being able to discern genuine heart change should be the first person, Johnny on the spot with our hand out to say, come on, we've been waiting for you. But there's way too much rescuer mentality in the body of Christ and Messiah complex. And going around thinking that Well, if I just do this, if I just do that, if I just do that, if I just do that, let me tell you something. The thing that we have to do is faithfully follow Jesus. 
Faithfully trust in Jesus. And I believe that whatever Jesus leads you to do, you should do. I believe that wholeheartedly. But here's the thing that I want to be able to tell you is that God has given you the ability to make righteous judgments. I know people that have come to me and said, well, you know, my ministry is to go to the bar or is to go to the dope house. And I go there and I minister and I'm touching the people that nobody else can touch. But every time they go, they get high and they get drunk. And they say, well, I'm just being all things to all people. I'm trying to love. No, love is supposed to be contained within the boundary of truth. As soon as you cross the boundary of truth in the name of love, you're deceived and you have now perverted God's love. And what you've done is if you're not executing righteous judgment and if you keep it up, there's going to be problems for you in your life. Well, I'm trying to reach out to my family. I know, but every time you get around them, you don't have the spiritual fortitude to actually stand up for God. You just turn into a gossiping, negative, doubtful person like all the rest of them. But you're reaching out to them. No, you're not. You're conforming to them. Let me tell you when you know you need to draw a boundary in your life. Whenever you become a thermometer instead of a thermostat in somebody else's life. If when you're ministering to people and you're in connection with people and even another brother and sister, let me, I got news for you. There's messed up people that go to church. We all are to some level. But in the name of relational connectivity, whenever we start just becoming a thermometer and all we can do is lower ourselves to whatever temperature they're at instead of being the one that sets how the temperature is going to be, you're no longer being effective. And I don't care how much you love the person. If you can't live the truth while loving them, you don't really love them. Guys, if it costs you your peace, which is not just your ability to have everything comfortable in your life, your peace is your shalom. It's your health. It's your wholeness. If it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. And you're making an investment. Here's the thing about it. If you invest relational capital, if you invest trust, if you invest all these different valuable currencies into people that don't have the ability to steward it well, not only do you bankrupt them, you bankrupt yourself. Not only do you bank, because the one that had one and didn't do anything with it, the Lord took it away from him, didn't he? So now he's got nothing. And if all you had was one and you put it in the wrong person, guess what you got now? Nothing. There's some people in your life that you need to continually be in connection with, continually be in covenant with, continually be in proximity to, because here's the thing, they add value to you. And do you know what? When you've got enough, when you've got enough built up, you can actually take a risk on one talent people every now and then. Because you know what? When you've got surplus, because you've actually been wise in your dealings, one talent don't really matter that much. But I know people that start off here with this huge heart to love everybody, but like I said, they don't have enough spiritual fortitude to be in old lifestyles that they were in before. To be, I believe for some of us, the greatest thing that we can do is to go into a season of break from certain relationships. 
Here's the thing. I'll prove, I'll prove, let me prove you a point. Have you ever felt the need like you were just coming to the point to where you had to be able to drop some kind of boundary? You need to distance yourself from that group of people. You need to distance yourself from that community, that person. And as soon as you made the hard decision to say, I don't think I'm able to come around as much, the very next thing that you were met with was, well, you just think you're better than me. You holier than thou, self-righteous. You go to church, you do this. You just forgot where you came from, didn't you? You ever dealt with that before? When people do that, you need to be encouraged because they've just proved right that you need to set the boundary. Because here's the thing about it. Everything I just said is an accusation and the devil's the accuser of the brethren. And let me tell you this, you can't afford to give the devil access to your life through other people. You'd never give the devil access to your life if he showed up in the flesh and said, hey, I wanna hang out with your wife and your kids. You'd say, no, dude, you gotta go, right? But Christians give the devil access to their life through people all the time. From not having the ability to discern good from evil, not having the ability to be okay with the righteous decision of saying, you know what? I know it sounds judgy, but you're a five talent person. Here's five more. You're a one talent person. I'm sorry, I still love you. I believe the best about you, but you're gonna have to give that back to me. Because let me tell you, what the, this is the truth. I believe that you can have a measure of trust for anybody but it's gonna be a different measure. Let's say that you've been in a relationship and it was something that you valued as a very close friendship and a betrayal happened. This person stabbed you in the back. You completely lost trust overnight for them as a friend. Can I be honest with you? If that person has a family, let's say it was a man, say he's a father, he's a husband, just because you stop trusting them as a friend doesn't mean that you don't so trust for them as a father or as a husband. You have a measure of trust that you can give everybody but you can't give everybody the same measure. Now, if this friend's kids came to you and you saw that they were bruised from their head to their toes and they told you, you know, my dad beats me every day, you probably now have lost trust for them as a father. But you could have trust that they're still an okay husband. But then the wife comes and tells you that they've done the same thing. We've lost some trust there. I'm trust that they will be a good inmate. I still, listen to the thing, I have trust that I can give anybody. I have trust that they'll be a good inmate and that they'll change in the jail because they've hit rock bottom and you can't treat people like that. Are you following me? So I have trust all the way into the jail for them and I love them. And we got people that'll go visit them while they're there. But love is never going to go outside of that boundary of truth. And I can't excuse poor behavior and not confront it, one, because I'm scared, or two, because I think that following Christ is, I'm supposed to just be this version of Jesus that isn't true. Are you following me? We've got a measure of trust that we can sow to everybody. You've got a level of connectivity in your life that you can give to everybody. You know, Jesus loved the Pharisees, but he didn't call any of them to be disciples, did he? Jesus was exclusive. Jody, Jesus was judgmental. He was exclusive. You ever had anybody tell you that? You're just exclusive. And I say, yeah, you're right. I am. But through righteous means. Through righteous means. A lot of people believed in Jesus. And how many of you know there were some Pharisees that ever believed in him and decided to start following him in secret because they were scared. And I told you before, Jesus had trust in Judas and he was able to give him, even knowing that he was a thief, a chance. Everybody deserves a chance, amen? Everybody deserves at least one talent. 
But let me tell you something. The relationships that grow you and the relationships that will cultivate depth and health in your life are the people that you deposit five and they make five more. And those are the people in your life now that you can operate at a totally different level of honesty with, a totally different level of connection with. And the body of Christ has to stop feeling bad. We we have to stop excusing righteous behavior. I fully believe this, that the church in America is in a dangerous place, but because for so long we've been attempting to not be religious, that most of us have ended up not even exhibiting holiness anymore or a righteous standard. You understand that we're made right because of Christ, not because of our works. But can I get a witness that being made right by Christ in your spirit should at some point in time start manifesting through your soul and in your body in the way that you behave? Or else there's a problem. Something's not connecting right. The church for so long, I believe in this country it's been heightened, has been trying their best to not be judgmental and to not be self-righteous that we have just got a misconstrued idea of God's righteousness altogether. And we've got to revisit those things. We've got to actually look at what the Lord's leading us to in regards to wisdom and righteous judgment, relational boundaries in our life, and learning the things that actually facilitate change in other people. Perverting love, all right, in the name of being compassionate never really helps anybody. But the truth in love will always be part of the catalyst of what sets people free. Do you know some people need boundaries drawn in their life and some people need talents removed just so that they can be aware that there actually is a problem. Most people have never loved anybody enough to actually be honest with them that the way they behave is a problem. What's even worse is when we have rewarded wrong behavior by depositing more talents in the name of love and compassion that just digs the person a deeper hole for themselves. There's some point in time that real family, really in love, in real relationship with God has got to sit down and look at somebody and say, look, dude, I'm having a hard time trusting you. It's not to say that we can't build that back. And it's not to say that I don't have some talents to give you, but as it currently stands right now, this is where we're at. And I love you enough to not tell you that. Here's some things from my vantage point that are contributing to the breakdown in your life. It's why your wife can't trust you. It's why your kids don't trust you. It's why I don't trust you. Let me actually sow some truth and love and give you some things that might actually help you be a more decent human being and have a successful life. Where's that at in the body of Christ? There's way too much fluff. There's way too much, oh, you're just perfect the way that you are. No, you're not. That's not true. There's way too much telling people they can sing when they can't and then they embarrass themselves. Pastor Lee and I talked about this the other day. You see the people that go on like The Voice or American Idol and they can't sing for nothing. And they get up and they embarrass themselves in front of the world. And I'm like, where were the people that actually love these people to say, don't do it. You're a terrible singer. Where are the people that actually love you enough and trust you enough to say, dude, you got a booger on your upper lip. Don't go up on stage. Zach, your fly's undone. Don't get up there. 
but wanting to be compassionate. It's not compassion to not do that. It's not compassion to be hanging out at your life group and see the way that the husband talked to his wife in front of your group, at the group, and the wife curled up into a ball. And you say, well, I just don't know the story. You know, maybe, maybe it's, hey, dude, can I, can I borrow you for a second, brother? Yeah, you might not know this. And, and, and you know what? I'm just going to take, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a talent right here. I'm going to deposit something in you. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but here's the thing. There was a comment that was made in the group earlier and your wife recoiled and she curled up into a ball. Did you notice that? Okay, do you really want to be family? Do you really want to grow in your walk with God? Then you have to be able to do this at some level. You have to stop being afraid. The church has to stop being afraid to tell the truth. You got to stop being afraid to tell people that they're weird. Listen, brother, I know you love people, but whenever you talk to them, you're this far from their face. And that wouldn't be bad, but, but the breath is bad. So the, face, the proximity, I'm bad, you just need some, you need some gum. So how do you do that? You just hand them gum. You don't have to tell them, hey, take this. Oh, I don't need any. No, trust me, you do. Take it. Let me show you a talent. Let me show you something. Because here's the thing. You'll never find five talent people until you invest one talent. Some of my best friends all start off as one talent people. Let's see what I can sow. You know, you have conversations with people. You say, I'm going to sow something about me that not everybody knows. I'm going to sow and I'm going to see if they talk about it. And their response is, man, thank you so much for confiding in me about that. Let me tell you about some of my life. You know what they say? Without you even, you know, they say, this will be between you and me. Man, you just became a five-talent person in my book. And then a whole month goes by, and nobody knows what I've told you. I might actually be able to trust you. See what I do? I'm going to deposit a little more. I'm going to deposit a little more. Some of you, I love you, but you're oversharers. You tell way too much about yourself to people that you should not tell. I hate to tell you this, but you can't trust everybody even in the church. Now, this is the cynical ditch and people that have been burned out of relationship. And yeah, praise God, I'm going along. This is amazing. Now, here's the thing that you need to know. Man, this is, so, this is so good. This is like the best preaching we've had since Sunday. So this is awesome. All right, so here's the thing is that people have gotten burned because of trusting people and being betrayed. And if we're not careful and we don't keep the Holy Spirit in the midst of all this, our heart gets hard and we say, I will never trust anybody again. Hmm. Because everybody's bad. And all those hypocrites are at church. All of them are hypocrites. Right? And you say, well, I tried to love. And I gave them my love. And they threw it in my face. And they hurt me. So I'm never going to love anybody again. I'm never going to trust anybody again. And as C.S. Lewis says, you can do that with love. You can do that with trust. You can bury it in a coffin. And you can cover it up. But in that coffin, it'll change. It'll grow cold. It'll grow hard. It'll be stale. And it won't be love anymore and it won't be trust anymore. And it'll contaminate every other relationship in your life. We tend to be extreme, especially when we're hurt. Somebody hurts me, somebody dishonors me, disrespects me, I lose trust. My immediate reaction is, you're dead to me, bye-bye. That's a wall, that's not a boundary. See, you're not supposed to turn love off because you said you gotta have love even for your enemies. Some people hurt you. I never turn off my love, but I guarantee you this, I do lower the talent. 
I'm not going to turn off my love, but I am going to lower my talent. I love you, but you're getting half of one. But I'm still giving you something. I trust that you will be a good inmate. That's half a talent. Are you following me? It is possible. Listen, this is going to set some people free. I don't have time because I'm out of time, but it's possible to love and forgive and still be in the process of earning trust. And forgiving isn't the same thing as trusting immediately. I can tell you the best thing, if you really feel a leading from the Lord to sow some talents, start off with one. Don't start off with five. Especially if the person has some history. The person has some track history in your life. Start off with one. See how they do. They turn it into two. Praise God. Here's two more. Turn it into four. Awesome. Here's two more. People of God should be harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. We have to learn to understand that what we carry, what we carry and who you are day to day, the gifts that God's given you, who God's made you to be, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you is the most valuable commodity on the planet. You've got to make sure that you preserve that. You have to make sure that you're a good steward of that thing that, that, that he's given you. And you have to make sure that you're intentional about your investments. And you have to make sure that, yes, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I can have a yes for everybody, but it's not always the yes that they want. And you cannot allow people to take you by manipulation to a place that love never told you was okay. You can't allow people through manipulation and guilt tripping you, take you to a place that truth will not allow you to go. Are you following me? Okay. Anybody get anything? Ministry team, why don't you come? Why don't you go ahead and stand? This is a risk, but I want to do it because I feel like I'm here in the Lord. If not, he'll tell me I'm wrong and I'll come back and apologize. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you permission to start exercising wisdom in regard to talents. I want to give you permission to no longer be condemned by the enemy for drawing boundaries in your life and doing things not out of self-preservation and fear, but out of wise stewardship. I wanna give you permission tonight to take a long, hard look at your relationships, to take a long, hard look in the abilities that you give other people to influence you. And I want you to receive permission tonight to allow your life to be safeguarded by the truth of God. And to have permission to never turn off love, but to be able to change the amount of talents that you're giving out. Always believing the best about people, believing that they can recover, believing that they can begin to multiply talents, but allowing yourself freedom to be honest about where you're at and they're at in this season. I wanna give you permission to be righteous Righteous in your judgments concerning your relationships. Righteous in your judgments concerning the individual ministries that God's leading you to. 
I want to give you permission. I want to speak freedom from condemnation over you tonight. Some of you have had to draw hard relational lines. You've had to put up some boundaries, even in regards to people that are in close proximity in your family. And that's not, that's not at you. And the enemies try to use that to condemn you, saying you're not being compassionate, you're not being caring. Let me tell you this. God has laborers for the harvest in the person's life that you had to draw that hard line with. You need to be able to receive freedom tonight that the laborer doesn't have to be you. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. You've got to get to a place that you trust that the same way that God will take care of you, he will take care of them. I want to give yourself, give yourself permission tonight to stop trying to be Mr. and Mrs. Fix-It with everybody. And give yourself permission tonight to do this, to be rooted in love and to release truth. If you need that tonight, put your hand on your heart. I want you to say this out loud. I, in the name of Jesus, give myself permission to be rooted in love and to release truth. Amen. Amen. I want you to give it up for the Lord. All right.